Turn up your volume. Your volume. Because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Marinero on this Wednesday, February 28th. The sick podcast weeknights between 10 p.m. and around 11 p.m. Usually sometimes we cut them a little bit short. 40 minutes, 45, 50, 55. All depending on, you know, just how much topics there are to talk about. There's going to be no shortage of topics tonight. Craig Button, TSN hockey analyst and director of scouting with TSN is going to be my guest. He'll join. Uh, he'll log on in about a minute or two. Actually, I already see him there, but not before I talk to you about Energy Transportation Group, a partner and a sponsor of the SIG podcast. And for that, we thank them very much. We love them. They're leading full service logistics providers serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. Also, another partner and sponsor is Playground. Discover a world of luxury at Playground. Their new 30,000 square foot expansion has thrilling games. Uh, gourmet dining, live entertainment located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. Playground experience the strip without the trip. And these guys right over here, La Bitte TV, Brood in Quebec. They used to be brewed in Abitibi, by the way. La Bitte TV, they used to be brewed in Abitibi. Now they're brewed in Laval, Quebec. Uh, a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitte TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitte TV, embrace your true nature. The Montreal Canadiens practiced earlier today, and then they flew out direction Florida, where they visit the Florida Panthers tomorrow night. And it's already been said by Marty St. Louis, that the Montreal Canadiens starting goaltender once again is going to be Samuel Montembeau, who absolutely stood on his head last night. You had a chance to hear me. I wasn't happy that he started because I said I had a dream, which almost ended up being a nightmare the night before the game, that Montembeau was going to start. He was going to stand on his head. The Canadians were going to win the game, a game that I thought would have been better if they would have lost it. Going into the game, they were one point ahead of the Arizona Coyotes who had a game in hand, and now they're three points ahead of the Arizona Coyotes. So, Anyway, long story short, um, yeah, I wasn't happy last night. I'm I'm a little bit better today. Still not happy that Montembeau is playing in Florida, but as good as he can be, Florida right now is the best team in the National Hockey League or arguably the best team in the National Hockey League, and the Montreal Canadiens are going to have to play quite a game, and it's going to take quite a few miracles for them to win that game tomorrow night. But you never know. With all the snowbirds in Florida and a lot of support they might get, it might feel like a home game for them. Maybe not. Let's bring him in. Craig Button, how are you? I am really good. And, you know, it's amazing, you know, and I, I, I say this with all due respect, you know, we talk about all the, 
the Stanley Cups and, and the tradition of excellence that the Montreal Canadiens have had. But where they're at in their in their cycle right now, <laughs> you're disappointed with a win. <laughs> and I get it. And like, can you imagine saying that, you know, in the 80s, the 70s, or the early 90s, you know, geez, I can't believe they won last night, you know. But that's where the Canadians find themselves. And, you know, when, you, when you're looking at the lottery and you're looking at trying to give yourselves the best chance to pick as high as possible, that, that's the disappointment in a, in, in, a, in a victory. You're right, because once upon a time, the Canadians had a season where they only lost eight. Remember <laughs> that one, right? Uh, but it's funny because, you know, Craig, um, I fully supported this rebuild. I've been on the whole rebuild bandwagon since 2009 when the Canadians had, uh, it was their centennial year, and they had about 10 unrestricted free agents. And they didn't have a very good team. It was just good enough to sneak into the playoffs or squeak into the playoffs. And and um, they ended up getting, uh, they didn't trade anybody because they wanted to give a little bit of hope to the fan base for such an important year in their history. And they got swept by the Boston Bruins in the first round. And then after that, a, a good 10 players walked without getting nothing in return. And, and that's that's obviously, that's very, very poor asset management. And it's very, very poor decision making. Unfortunately, though, having said all of that, what we're hearing is it probably wasn't in the hands of the general manager at that point. It was uh, more uh, with uh, on the ownership group and the president of the team at that time that that's the direction they wanted to take. So I'm all for the rebuild. Uh, but, you know, and I understand that the lottery, anyone could win it. Like Chicago wasn't the worst team in the league last year, but yet they ended up with the number one pick. So they were able to move up a couple of spots. But I feel that if you can put yourself in a position to put the probabilities on your side, and of course, in the end, you still have to do your share. You still have to go out and draft the right player for your organization. I think it's better to have your destiny in your hands instead of taking what's left of maybe you something – and not having your guy. And we, we've been through this. Maxim Lapierre joined me last night. Players don't tank. Coaches don't tank. It's in their mentality to win every game. We get that. General managers, uh, VPs of hockey ops, they probably have a different idea. They're the one building the team. So I'm going to ask you this. I was saying yesterday that I was hoping that Kent Hughes was going to go down, have a talk with Marty, and say, Marty, we've gone with this three-goalie system. Um, let's go with Caden Primo to play this game versus Arizona. We know that Marty had a five-game losing streak. The Canadians had a five-game losing streak going into the game, and obviously he wants to win all the time. Is that a conversation that can take place, and how difficult is it? Put on your former GM's hat for me here. Uh, how difficult would that conversation be? Like, I, I really believe... Kent Hughes is not going to say this publicly or on the record right now at the end of February, but considering where the Canadians are in the standings, I would imagine that if they lose more than they win between now and the end of the year, he's not going to shed too many tears and he's not going to lose too much sleep. So can this conversation be had? And if so, what's the approach? Yeah, the con the conversations between GM and coach are, are ongoing. They're every day. And, and you're always trying to, hey, what are you thinking? You, you, you know, you're Kent's asking Marty, what are you thinking? Whatever, whatever. Let's just stay focused in on the three goalie system. That's where you're at. I, I, I remember so vividly, and I, I've been really fortunate, and I and I use him as a, as an example because he was such a terrific mentor to me and a, and a real significant influence in my life. And that's Bob Gainey. But we were 
our farm team was in Kalamazoo and, you know, I was overseeing it. And Bob said to me, he goes, listen, he goes, your job here is to support the coaching staff, you know, to try to help them through challenges, help the players, you know, try to make sure that we balance out between development and, and making sure that we're competitive. We have, we have players here that, that are really competitive, that are trying to advance, that want to try to earn contracts. And he said, if you're going to coach from the press box, he goes, I'm going to suggest that I'll put you behind the bench so that you can spend those hours in the coach's office doing the work that coaches do to try to find solutions to what other problems are. And he said, I, I really like the fact that you can oversee development and everything. He goes, I'll put you behind the bench, but I don't like your chances to be successful. So the reason I bring that up is that a manager needs to know what his job is. And if Kent wants to go and coach, go and coach. And to Bob's point, Go in the coach's office and spend the hours that the coaches are spending working on. You're always talking to your manager. The, and that, that's a good, healthy relationship. The conversation is, a, is an easy one to have. Because it, it, if you can't have it, then you, you got a bigger problem than the conversation. So you're having that conversation. But at the same time, you're trying to understand, okay, Marty, what are you thinking? You know, he, he's got a touch for the team, the feel for the team. Kent's looking long term. And 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 that's the and you're trying to mesh those things together. But if Kent wants to start going down and telling the coach who he should be playing, you got a big problem. You got a big problem. Now you can say, hey, listen, what are you thinking here? Would it make uh, you know, does it make sense for us to play primo tonight? And Marty will have his reasons. And, and you have to respect the coach's reasons. You don't always have to agree with them. But if you're not going to respect the coach's reasons and you're not going to allow him to make those decisions, I'm not saying just what do you think and then, okay, go ahead. That conversation is back and forth. The, the, then you got the wrong coach. And, I and, hear and you. I'll, Tony, I'll tell you this all the time. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a story. And it goes back to Scotty Bowman and Sam Pollock. And in and, and, and the days back, you had to make an appointment to come up and see Sam Pollock. So Scotty had made an appointment to come up to see Sam. He came up and he started talking about this player and that player and that player and this player and this player. We need this. We need this. We need that. Sam was working at his desk, working at his desk, listening to Scotty. Scotty finished. And he said, is that all you have, Scotty? He said, yeah. He goes, you coach the team. I'll manage. Any questions? Sammy respected and and don't and don't get me wrong. Sammy never had a problem saying to Scotty, "Hey, do this," but it's or, or not not do this. How, how about this? And Scotty would just say, "You know, I, I'm going to do it my way." And but but it was it was separated. You know, it, if you're going to have if the manager is going to come in and tell the coach, you better be prepared to have the coach come in and tell you, "I don't want this guy" or "I don't want that guy." And the coach can tell the manager, look, I don't tell you how to do your job. Don't tell me how to do mine. I get that, too. Having said that, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that Kent Hughes has to tell Marty St. Louis how to coach his team game in and game out and what to do and make suggestions. What I'm saying is he's given him that authority, that responsibility, of course, and he's let him do his thing for 58 games. And after 58 games, he takes a look at the standings. And his team is seventh last and one point ahead of sixth last Arizona, which they're hosting. And if they lose that game, well, then Arizona's got more points than Montreal. And then Montreal maybe doesn't end up catching up because Arizona's got a game in hand. Who knows? But it's kind of like a four-point game towards getting the better probability 
of a better spot in the lottery. And so all I'm saying is, at game 58, can Kent not say, Marty, I know you want to win this one, but if we lose it, Arizona jumps ahead of us and we're closer to the bottom at a better chance at a lottery pick. Probably not the end of the world. And he doesn't have to tell Marty not to play uh, Montembeau. Maybe Marty already gets it. Can he do that? Well, I mean, you, 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 you I, again, the, the conversation, if, if I could set it up, the conversation would be along these lines. So, so, so you're Marty, I'm Kent. So, so Marty, like, I mean, here we're at, you know, you know, all the draft probabilities and everything. And, you know, if we lose tonight, you know, to they, uh, they'll go ahead of us. And we have a pretty good chance. So you're Marty. What are you telling me? I'm saying, Kent, I got a hockey team to coach and I got a culture to instill here. We've lost five games in a row and I want to stop the bleeding. So, which is fair, right? So, what Kent is saying is fair. What 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 Marty is saying is fair, and 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 I I, I totally agree with that's the way it would go. So, and and then he sit down and go, okay, you know, here's where we're at. You know, there's going to be other opportunities. You know, we're going to go and, and we've got to play. And you know, I, and and Marty can say, hey, listen, I understand where you're coming from, Kent, but I think at this moment in time, if we if if we had been three and two in our last five. I, I might be more willing to do it. And, and that's all I need to hear. Hey, listen, you're hearing what I'm saying. I hear what you're saying. Okay, let's go. And that's the conversation back and forth. And there's a respect. And there's going to be times when, when Marty says, you know what, Kent, you're exactly right. You know what? Like, thanks. You know, this is the way we're going to do it. And, and what, whatever that may be, the insertion of a player, you know, Arbor Jack guy, let's just use Arbor Jack guy, going back down to the minors. No, that's what's going to be best for him. Right. You know, and there's lots of considerations that go into this contract, you know, like bonuses. And, and I'm talking big picture. I'm not talking specifically to the Canadian. Those conversations are going on all the time. But I, I, I think a healthy back and forth, a respect for one another. But I think the key, the key takeaway in that thing is, is that if somebody that you trust in a job makes a decision that maybe you wouldn't have made, you have to trust them to, 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 to be allowed to make it. Craig, I think you know by now that I'm pretty high on Joshua Roy. I know by now that you're pretty high on Joshua Roy. Uh, <laughs> you talk about his play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League off, and you talk about the points that, you put, that he put up. You talk about the fact that he wasn't trusted regarding his skating or his defensive play, but he goes to Team Canada at the World Juniors and plays with Connor Bedard and plays a 200-foot game, and then the coach trusts him to put him on the penalty kill. It ends up being a pretty important member of that club, of that team that won gold. So on that note, um, he's doing pretty well here with the big team. Let's hear from Marty St. Louis and Arbor Jackye earlier today about Joshua Roy. Je pense que c'est son intelligence sur la glace. Uh, c'est rare qu'il est pas à bonne place. Uh, offensivement et défensivement. Euh, ça lui donne euh, l'opportunité offensivement d'avoir des bonnes touches euh, parce qu'il euh, il comprend, il comprend la game, il comprend comment qu'on veut jouer. Euh, fait que pour moi, ça, c'est encourageant parce qu'il va juste se euh, renforcer étant que c'est encore un jeune joueur. Il va venir plus, plus fort, plus vite, euh, mais euh, son intelligence est là. Je pense que c'est smart et juste wearing, wearing... Like he knows exactly where to be on the ice at all times, and like seems to get in the good spots. And 
he does get a lot of chances. I mean, I feel like once once he starts once he starts scoring, it's going to be like he's going to put a lot of bucks in the net. And I think he's got a lot of offensive upside. And once he once he starts feeling it, I think he's going to be he's going to be a great player. As a guy uh, who grew up in Montreal, Craig, je sais que tu parles français, mais je vais traduire quand même. I'll translate anyway. Marty St. Louis says Joshua Roy's intelligence. Uh, it's rare that he's not in the right spot. And by him being in the right spot, it gives him opportunities. It gives him chances. The kid understands the game. Uh, he'll get bigger and he'll get stronger going forward. But right now, he's a highly intelligent player. So and Marty said offensively and defensively. Yes. You, you, yes, you know, he, he, he said he, on, on both counts of that. You know, it's, so sorry. I just wanted to. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So listen, on that note, what I'm going to do now is we're going to hear from Joshua Roy himself, okay. and then we'll uh, we'll continue. Go. Just l'adaptation au jeu en général. Je trouve que je peux s'adapter comment la ligue jouait. Puis je trouve que le jeu est pas mal plus lent. Il est pas plus lent, mais il paraît plus lent. Fait que je pense que c'est ça la grande différence. Oui, mais je pense que les gars sont plus physiques. Fait qu'au début, c'était une petite adaptation aussi. Puis je pense que je commence à m'y habituer. À force de pratiquer avec des gars comme ça, de jouer contre des gars, tu ne veux pas tu t'habituer. Fait que je pense que là-dessus, j'ai pris un step. Est-ce que c'est que Ah, les gars sont super bons pour moi. On se communique beaucoup sur la glace. Je pense que c'est la clé du succès. Puis. Euh, des, des petites affaires, à chaque fait ça, on va se parler de quel jeu qu'on fait. Euh, entre les périodes, on se parle aussi. Fait que je pense que euh, juste de se parler puis d'être sur la même longueur d'ongle, euh, ça va être beaucoup. Là. Bon, ben écoute, euh, je vais jouer le jour, honnêtement. Euh, je profite de chaque moment que, que je suis ici, puis euh, je donne mon 100%. Puis euh, c'est sûr, il y a un petit voyage en Floride, ça va être le fun, fait que euh, ça se passe bien. Là. <laughs> he was asked about the trade deadline coming up, and he says, "Look, I'm a young player, I'm living it for the first time, but uh, you know what? I'm going to have fun with it." But he was, you know, he was asked, he basically said, "Hey, you know what? You're getting pretty good at this NHL thing. Um, how have you been able to uh, be this comfortable this fast?" And he said, "The adaptation." Uh, I've been able to adapt. I've been able to adjust to the game and to the league. And he says, so it's still a very fast league, but now it's slowed down for me a little bit. Um, so he said, uh, you know, the opportunity to practice with NHLers every day, communicate with uh, Newhook and Armia, and we get to know each other, and we talk a lot before plays actually happen. Uh, and so he says, uh, you know, you, you just get into kind of like a, a habit of doing things and doing it the NHL way, okay? Uh, he's doing it more than the NHL way. This is my colleague, Anthony Martineau at TVA Sports, who put this up on uh, X earlier today. Look at these stats, if we can. Do we have them? We have them. Okay. Joshua Roy, 22nd among Montreal Canadiens players in terms of average ice time with 12 minutes and 6 seconds. But look what he does with the few minutes that he gets. Pretty impressive. Expected goals per 60, first on the team. Assists per 60, first on the team. Points per 60, third on the team. Shot attempts per 60, second on the team. Craig, 
Those are very, very interesting stats for a player who's got 14 NHL games under his belt. They are. And, you know, when you hear Marty St. Louis talk about his intelligence and you hear about Arbor Jack guy, uh, you know, speak to, he knows where to be on the ice. He's in the right spots. You know, Arbor also talked about, you know, he gets lots of chances and the puck's going to go in for him. Well, that when you're in the right spots, and 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 you and you understand where to go and you understand where to be. You're going to get chances. That's the expected goals, right? Then when the puck's on a stick, he knows how to make plays. So you see, per sixty, he's third in assists, right? The shots on goal. So and 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 now and now what ends up happening with a young player? So you see, he's averaging just over twelve minutes a game. Well, now you start to say so. Marty can start to look and go. Let's see what he does with 13 minutes. Let's see what he does with 14. Another big part for Joshua now is to be able to manage more minutes, you know, to be able to sustain at that level. And, and But this is a really good indicator uh, of, of where the player finds himself early on in his career. And, and let me say this, that's a really strong indicator. I, I'm not surprised by that because having watched Joshua be that smart player, be that really prolific offensive player. And, and it takes time. We talked about Uri Slavkovsky, how, how the game has slowed down for him. It's not that the game has is, is slow. It's just that you're more comfortable at that pace. You're more comfortable. I, I may have said this previously, uh, Tony. You know, when, when you take a, a young fighter pilot and you put him into, uh, you know, uh, 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 school to be, to be a fighter pilot. You don't start him at Mach four. He starts at Tom like Mach one, and then Tom you build Cruise him up. And Top Gun, Tom yeah. Cruise and Top Gun. It's you start. Yeah, there you go. You start, you, but you don't start at Mach four. They don't put you in the plane and start saying flying at Mach four. But you know, you learn that, and that's the same thing at the NHL. We've seen it with Uri Slavkovsky. You're seeing it with Joshua Wah. Smart players understand okay here's what i gotta do and and, and you think you gotta be faster and everything and and it's not that you have to be faster it's that you have to process faster and as you process the game at that speed now everything around you seems slower not that it is it's just that you're processing at the necessary level again i've watched joshua for a long time and joshua is a really good player and he to me uh, you know, we talk of, about different players. I, I, he, he, he very well may be, and, and in fact, I do think he is absolutely their best offensive prospect anywhere in the system. Like, uh, I'm not talking about defensive, and I'm not talking about Lane Hudson, but as an offensive player, as a forward, I think he's absolutely their best forward prospect. Uh, obviously excluding regulars of the last couple of years, right? So you're talking yeah, about yeah, I'm talking who, about young kids who are, who are the, not full-time Montreal Canadiens yet or or yeah. less than 15 games under their belt or none or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, still, so ahead still, of, so ahead still of Sean Farrell. Yeah, yeah. So ahead yeah, of Sean exactly. Farrell. Yeah. Ahead exactly. of Meshar. Ahead of who? Meshar, Philip Meshar. I think he is. I think he's yeah. ahead of them all. You know, Craig, there's a lot of things I love talking to you about, uh, one of which especially is player development. Um, I like doing that with Pierre Maguire as well, who, by the way, will be my guest tomorrow night after the Canadians and the Florida Panthers, so tomorrow night at 10. And I'm going to ask Pierre the same question that I'm going to ask you right now. So Joshua is getting comfortable, and I think he's answered a lot of questions. 
I think he's answered the question that um, his skating is not going to set him back in the National Hockey League because he has the other tools, especially the intelligence and the IQ. I think he's answered the question about um, his grit level because he competes. Uh, I think he's answered even a question that is it a possibility that this guy's going to be a top six player one day? And I think more, most people are leaning towards yes. But now there's the other side of the coin. You stay here in a losing environment for the rest of the season, playing meaningless games, but getting developed for sure and practicing with those NHLers that he really appreciates. Or you have a chance to go back down to the American Hockey League where your team has about another 21 games to play or so, where they're about five or six points out of a playoff spot in the north, where you'll go down and you'll be their best player and you'll have an opportunity to be able to lead and propel your team into the playoffs and play very significant and important AHL playoff games. What would you do with Joshua Roy? Well, I, I think you can do both. Uh, he can stay up and play. And there's there's so many benefits that, that you're seeing from him being in the NHL. He talked about practicing every day with NHL players. He, 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 the water's not gushing over his head. He's not treading water. He's, he's taking steps forward. So the Montreal Canadiens know that they have a good situation at Laval. And now at the end of the season, or if it's a week before the regular season ends or whatever it is, you can send them back to, to, to Laval. I'll, I'll share, when I was in Calgary, we, we had two players that were up with us uh, down the stretch, and we weren't going to make the playoffs, uh, Chris Clark and uh, Stevie Beja. And so we, we wanted them to be able to, 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 to be in the NHL, to understand what we had, and, 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 and then we were going to send them down at the end of the year. We also had Benny Grat Graton. And, and that's a whole separate story. Maybe one day we'll get into uh, that story. But what we did was at the end of the year, we sat down with them and we said, now you're going down to St. John. And, you know, they went down to St. John. The season was over and they dug in. We won the championship in the American Hockey League. We won it with the St. John Flames. Steve Bajan was the most valuable player in the playoffs. Chris Clark was an instrumental member of that team. So that's why when I say both can happen, you, you can do both. And, and and you manage it. Like if you start to get down the stretch and whatever it is, it's five games left or three games left the last week of the season, you, you, you can just sit down and say, okay, we're going to send you down now. It's a better time. But as long as you sit down and you say, hey, listen, these are things that are benefiting the player by being in the NHL that are going to help him in the summertime understand what the NHL is about with his training. And he comes back into training camp the next year. Stevie Bajan and Chris Clark never went to the minors again. I hear you. Um, he's a young player. He's obviously going to do what he's asked to do. But should a staff give a player like that, who's a young player, an importance in terms of actually asking him what he thinks would be beneficial for him? Or do you take control and say, listen, Joshua, this is our plan for you. We'd like to keep you here for most of the time, but at the same time, Laval's going to need a push, and we think you can go down there and be the leader. So do you you basically tell him that that's what he's going to do, or do you have a conversation with him and say, listen, this is what you're thinking. What do you think? Do, do those conversations take place with a young player who's 
not at the, the top of the totem pole, but you know. Well, development, development, the, the, the development conversation and development work is ongoing. It's every day, you know, whether it be the, the coaching staff in Montreal, whoever is working with, with the player and you're trying to emphasize to him, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Work on this. When he's down in Laval, here's what you're trying to work on. And, and so you're not going to give like, I mean, I, I would never give a player a choice, but I would if you're doing your job properly there's an understanding of what you're trying to do and where the benefits will accrue for player and where the benefits will accrue for the team. I'll, I'll go back to like, th this is a different example, but we, we sent Chris Clark down. And at that time there was an option to be picked up on his contract on a one-way contract next year. So when we sent him down, he, 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 the option hadn't been picked up. So we sat down with Chris and, and, and whatnot and, and told him, so the minute he left, we, we sent him down. I, I, I went to our, our assistant general manager and I said, we're picking up that one-way option right now. And we're sending it overnight mail. So when he lands tomorrow morning, he's going to get this mail and we're going to ask him to sign the contract. Because you, you, So he, he, and I phoned his agent. I told him what we were doing. He said, oh God, Chris is going to be thrilled. Chris was, Chris was, because his agent said, well, now he was worried. Does, do I get hurt down there? Now I don't get the one-way contract. Well, once he had the one-way contract, it just cleared his mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we also knew that. That was on us, Tony. That was on us as an organization to, to, to express our belief in the player as well and to say, to not by telling him we believe in him, by showing him, and we did. And, 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 and so there's different ways that you can do it. That was a different scenario. And we thought it was the right thing to do. And we believed in Chris. And, and I think there's different ways to make the player part of the conversation, part of the, part of the whole process. But if the team thinks that this is what's best for Joshua Wah, then, you know, you, you explain it, help them understand it. There might be some, Oh geez, I can't believe I'm going down there. It's different, but you're trying to emphasize to the young player these are the benefits that you're going to get. Speaking of contracts, why are less and less teams giving bridges nowadays? I mean, we we know one obvious answer is you want to try and keep your best players as long as you can, obviously. But you know, if you don't quite know your player, you might have a hard time when they're going to have a really long-term contract. So. Um, do you believe still in bridge contracts or do you think long-term deals are a better way to go for, you know, first round, second round players whose entry level is just about up? Yeah. You know, it's always a, a great conversation in baseball. They talk about control, right? How, how many controllable years you have, but we've seen some teams in baseball now say, Hey, we don't care. We're signing our players to long-term deals at young ages. So, so they've, they've bucked the system. We, we, we've seen other situations where, where, where you're going shorter and, and you use bridge. I, I think what happens, I think we see the bridge in, in, in situations where a player may, may not have a big body of work and, and he may have been injured. Uh, and, and, and so you're looking at it and going, hey, listen, we're not ready to give you the long-term contract. You really haven't shown enough. So we're going to give you the bridge. And But for players, those younger players that are moving out of their entry level, that you really feel confident in. I, those are the players I think that if you're giving them that long-term contract at 22 or 23, 
if you're turning pro at 20 or 19 or whatever it is, you give a player an eight-year deal at that point in time, you know you're getting basically all his prime years. I think it comes down to prime years. So the bridge serves one area, but I think that the long-term contract certainly serves another area. I, I don't think that every player, you have to give every player the, the long-term deal, but let's, let's look now at Elias Peterson. And I'm just going to use him as an example. Okay. Well, we talked about him last night. Oh, did you? Okay. So I, I didn't oh, hear the yeah. show last night, but there, but, but I'm just going to use him as an example. So he comes out of his entry level. They know where he's at. They, they, they know that he's a pretty good player. Now, Maybe he had a little bit of an off year, right? But but not that much. You've drafted him high. He's been good. You get so that ends up being a three-year deal. So now one year out of unrestricted free agency, you know, you're now, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you're offering him an eight-year deal. Well, that eight-year deal takes you 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 now had him for, for probably five, certainly four of his prime years. He's going to be in his prime for the next four or five years, but you're also now paying for three years that he's not in his prime. And and, and he's going to be at 12 million plus. <laughs> so where would you rather have him? I, I like, I, I can tell you this, Matthew Kachuk, the Calgary flames could have had him on dry contract for eight years. They fought it. And you know what they did? Not only did they lose the battle, they lost the war. <laughs> That's it. You know, some sometimes teams win the battle, but they lose the war. Sometimes they lose the battle, but they win the war. The Flames lost the war and the battle. So Maxim Lapierre yesterday on the podcast said, I think the Canadians now with this rebuild are at a point where they're going to have to sign an unrestricted free agent. And I said, Max, that's not going to happen next year or this summer. And he said, why? I said, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, the Canadians are still not knocking on the door of a playoff spot. Number two, more importantly, they may not trade anyone this year. If nobody jumps on Jake Allen and nobody jumps on Tanner Pier- or nobody, well, Pearson's contract's up at the end of the year, but nobody jumps on Armia. Who's, so Allen's got a year after this year. If nobody jumps on him, Armia's got a year after this year. If nobody jumps on him, David Savard's got a year after this year. If nobody jumps on him, we know that Christian Dvorak is hurt. He's got another year. So I said, there's not going to be money coming off the books to go out and get an unrestricted free agent. So then he said, well, I think it's time they offer sheet. And I said, yeah, but how many times does that work out? Right. I said, you know what it is. There's an unwritten rule in the National Hockey League. You don't offer sheet because if you do it to somebody, they're going to come back and try and do it to you. And you're not going to want that done to you when you're in a vulnerable situation with contracts. Case in point, the Montreal Canadiens offer sheet Sebastian Ajo, Carolina Hurricanes match. And then Carolina sticks it to the Canadians and they offer sheet cock and yemi. The Canadians say that's way too much money. Thanks, but no thanks. Mind you, Carolina is probably regretting that deal right now. They've locked them up long term. Having said that, so Max said, yeah, but when the Canadians offer sheet, it wasn't really an offer sheet. It did not put Carolina in financial difficulty and it was an easy contract to match. You have to you have to put together a contract where they can't match. So then I said, Elias Peterson. No, he said Elias Peterson. And I said, Elias Peterson. I said, Max. You're going to have to give him at least $12 million, right? Take a look at what um, Nylander's making. What is he making? 11 and a half. This guy's a centerman. He's 25 years old. He scored over 100 points last year. You got to give him. So he said, what would you give him? I said, I don't know, seven years, 85? My question to you is, as a guy who was a GM, 
How many GMs in the league nowadays you think have the courage to offer sheet? Is it frowned upon? Is it an unwritten rule? And why does it rarely work? Well, three questions. So <laughs> Brian Burke was ready to fight Kevin Lowe when Kevin Lowe put an offer sheet in on Dustin Penner. So I think that that gives you an idea of like, you know how ma- managers do. They, they kind of feel there are players stay away from them. But the, the CBA allows you to, to make uh, inquiries and, and to talk to restricted free agents. So there's nothing prohibitive in the CBA and in the rules, but, you know, it, it, it isn't something that managers are going, yeah, 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 let's all do it. So, so, so that's number one. I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's hard to say, do they have the courage, do they not? Listen, I, I think that there's 20 managers in the National Hockey League that if you, that if you, that, that aren't very bold, I think they're conservative. So I, I think that that's part of their philosophy. And I think that that's just the way they go about their business. And so what, whether that's courage or whether it's not being bold or whether it's being conservative, I think that that's what their things are. The, the biggest reason, like if you want to go and offer sheet somebody, the idea is, is to acquire the player. I, I think in the vast majority of cases, teams have, uh, they've done half measures. If you wanted, if you wanted Sebastian Ajo, go and offer him 11.5. That's what the Montreal Canadiens needed to do. It was half measures. And if you want Elias Pettersson, go and offer him 14.5 times 7. 12 billion ain't going to get it done. Because they're just going to go, thank you very much for doing our bidding, just like Carolina did. You have to take the you have to take the market and push it ahead. Bob Clark and the Philadelphia Flyers made an offer sheet on Ryan Kessler. And this is before Ryan Kessler had really emerged. So they, they, they spotted the right player, and then they put the offer where it wasn't a first-round draft pick. It was a second-round draft pick. That This is back in, in, in the mid of I think it was 06. Half measures. Make the dollars more, and bottom line is, then now the team goes, well, at least we get a first-round draft pick. At least you make them think. When, when you make an offer sheet and it's only a second-round draft pick, well, now it's a at that time, now the dollar figure, it doesn't scare the team. The compensation doesn't reward the team. They just go, yes. Too many half measures. Too many. The agents have always been pushing it. You have to be. I always felt this. Here's what I always felt. In my view, Elias Pedersen to me, if I'm going to offer sheet Elias Pedersen, here's how I'm going to do it. So he comes up at the end of this year. He has one year on his contract left before he's an unrestricted. I'm offering him one year at 15 million. One year at 15 million. They can't trade him for a calendar year. So they're stuck. <laughs> and on January 1st, if they don't match, then I sign up to the long-term deal. That's how, like, you, you got to squeeze a team. Can you imagine the Vancouver Canucks having to match a one-year deal at $15 million for Elias Pettersson, and they cannot trade him, and he's in full control of the, contra- of the, of the negotiation? That's how you squeeze to get the player. Okay, so run that by me again. Uh, he's an unrestricted, he's a, pardon me, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. With one year so before unrestricted. With one year before unrestricted. Right. Let's just say you're the Montreal Canadiens. You say, I have an offer sheet for you. One year, $15 million. Yep. Could be pretty attractive to him, number one. 
He's going to more than double his salary. Number two, he's probably thinking that his next contract at that point is probably going to start at $15 million. I don't know. I don't know. Kotke and Emmy went back. You know, yes, now you're you, right about that. Right. So you, it all depends how you want to do it. There's risk for the team, like giving up four first round draft picks and only having them for one year. But you're having the conversation. Is this the place you'd like to be long term? OK, here's how we're going to do it. And now Vancouver, keep in mind, Vancouver now is stuck. They can't trade the player for a calendar year. Can you imagine Elias Patterson? And they're sitting there going, oh, boy, we're stuck. Yeah, but how many teams do you know that have enough cap flexibility to offer a player $15 million? Well, you're right. So so there's another part of it, right? You have to have cap flexibility. Like there's no averaging in that. That's $15 million of real money. So to me, you got to start setting up unrestricted free agents. You got to start, if you want to make offer sheets, you got to start setting that up or unrestricted. You got to start clearing off cap space a year or two before. Not 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 look and go, oh, this guy's available. Let's do it now. You, you got to be looking ahead and, and you got to be looking at the marketplace. Can the Canadians do this? Pick up the phone, call the Vancouver Canucks and say, listen, we're thinking of offer sheeting Elias Pedersen $15 million one year. We don't have to go down that road. If you want, work out a trade with us. And we won't have to. But then again, the Vancouver Canucks could say, well, there's nothing you can offer me. It's going to be better than four first-round draft picks, right? Well, maybe not. I mean, four first-round draft picks, keep in mind, if you offer sheet them in July or after the draft, those first-round those first draft picks happen in 25, 26, 27, 28. The Vancouver Canucks are a good team. Those players aren't coming in and helping you, right? You might be betting on a high pick and whatnot. But they're not coming in and help you. From a Vancouver point of view, and I always felt this as a manager and in management, every manager goes, we'll match. I would have never said that. I would have just said, go and do what you got to do. I might not match. I might not match. I got it. Do you think that adding an Elias Pettersson would take the Montreal Canadiens from the final third in the league? And bring him up into the top third of the league. So going from a 25th place team overall to a 9 or 10? Well, the, the first thing that would happen is Elias Pedersen would immediately become Montreal's best player. So, And he's a superstar. So you add, you add a player that now makes you, I mean, We've had this discussion here about Nick Suzuki's the number one center. Well, now you don't have to worry because Elias Pedersen becomes your top dog. And we've talked about the way the team is at, and this is the challenge. Not maybe not the challenge, but this is the exercise for management is to look at their team and say, okay, when is the right time to do something? When is the right time to be bold? When is the right time to, you know, give up a little bit of our youth? Because our younger players are progressing. You know, you're trying to you're trying to time it right, but but with the understanding of where you're at at any moment in time. I don't know if they could go to the third to the top third. But but I would I would suggest that they would definitely improve their lot significantly by having Elias Patterson and Nick Suzuki one two in their center ice slots. 
So you definitely believe that the quote-unquote window exists in the National Hockey League? I do. I mean, it doesn't exist for the San Jose Sharks because the San Jose Sharks, where they're at with their young players, there hasn't been enough progression. There hasn't been enough development time to do it. So if the San Jose Sharks went and do it, I, I would say it'd be an exercise in futility. I, I might say the same thing about the Anaheim Ducks right now. But at the same time, you know, t- where you're at at any moment in time, what happens if the Philadelphia Flyers went and did it? Like, are the Philadelphia Flyers markedly different than the than the Montreal Canadiens? I'm talking, like, where Montreal's at now, is that markedly different than where Philadelphia was at last year? No. I don't think so. And now well, they've no, made improvements. In, in the standings, maybe, but not if you consider all the injuries the Canadiens have had this season, especially sure. to important players like Doc. But the players that, like, Forster took a step forward, right? Like, you know, they had players that took real – that have been developed. So I'm talking about the timing uh, of, of, of the situation with your young players. So I think you definitely improve. But San Jose, like I said, and I'm not trying to pay – like, it's an exercise in futility if you're going down that route. Yeah, when Mark Bergevin was general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, he was asked about the window on more than one occasion because they had Carey Price and they had P.K. Subban at one point and they had Max Pacioretty and then Subban, of course, was traded and they had they had Weber and they had other players and they had Placanic and he was, he was asked about the window and um, every time I think he said he didn't believe in that. I don't believe in that. He was His way of thinking was players come and go all the time you'll have good players not so good some better some worse and then they'll go and then others will come in and he didn't really believe in the window well listen you know what i can look out my window in january and i can see that it's a little bit cold out there and i'm not going to go outside and i can look out my window in june and i go boy what a beautiful day it's 25 degrees and sunny i think i'm going to go and sit on my deck (laughs) <laughs> like windows exist and, and 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 if you don't want to look at the window and see the reality of where you're at then then guess what then you you can have rose colored glasses or no glasses on but you, you tell me you don't believe in the window the san jose sharks have a window the san jose sharks don't have a window do the edmonton Oilers have a window yeah they have a window but they didn't have a window in 2015 when they when they drafted Connor mcdavid and that was after drafting Taylor Hall, right? Nugent Hopkins, Neil Yakupov. They're when they so, absolutely there's so, a window that exists. Yeah. So I don't know if the Canadians how they can pull this off. Uh, they definitely can in a couple of years from now. Once again, with all those contracts that we discussed, that they'll come off the books. I mean, Dvorak will be gone, and Allen will be gone, and Savard will be gone, and Armia will be gone, and Tanner Pearson will be gone, and there will be others. Um, but they are going to have to extend. Um, Slavkovsky and Gouli in a year. Um, so if you're the general manager, I'm going to ask you right now, if you're the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, would you offer Sheet Elias Pedersen? If, if, if you could maneuver and try to find a way to pull it off here, would you offer Sheet him? This year? Well, this year he's up, right? Yeah. yeah. So no. You wouldn't. I don't, I think, the, like I said, I think it's, a, you, you, to get him, you're going to have to over, you're going to have to pay him more than Matthews. Matthews is the highest paid player in the league. I think that's the only way you're getting him. Okay. If you offer him 12.5 times seven, Vancouver goes, thank you very much. We'll just put our signature on this. Yeah. 
should um, you know? It's a and couple I don't think years Montreal now. Is, is is good enough right now to take advantage yeah. of, of 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 his of his abilities. This will be year three of the rebuild. Of course, a um, couple of years ago they finished dead last in the league. Last year they finished fifth last. This year there's an opportunity to finish anywhere between fourth last to eighth last. Um. Is there a, an amount of years on a rebuild? Because if there's some teams, obviously, that didn't do it right, Buffalo and Arizona uh, being two prime examples, it seems like they've been in the rebuild for like a decade. Uh, is is this offseason, next season, when's the window for the Canadians to say, okay, now we have to really turn the corner and amp it up. Now winning has to be important. Very I, important. Yeah, I think that... I think if I use my analogy of, of spring, summer, fall, and, and winter, I, I think Montreal is coming out of their winter, and, and, and the spring is going to offer different opportunities to, to support your team. One of the things that Kent Hughes did, and Jeff Gordon, is that when they came in, they were willing to take on contracts to try to get other assets, whether it be draft picks, you know, a couple some prospects in, 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 in certain cases, but they got prospects and picks. But they also took on contracts with players like to, to get those. And and I think they have to really work at finding players that can come in and, and bolster and strengthen the lineup from the bottom up. And they have 23 picks in, in the two drafts this year. Next year, I've said it, they're, they're, the shelves and the prospect cupboards are full. They're full. They, they, every every position and every every type of player, I think they got it covered. Don't be taking on players' contracts just to get another pick. Don't be taking on players from other organizations now just to get a pick. You don't need picks anymore. You need to make your team stronger from the bottom up. All right, okay. Um, Calgary and Dallas are working on a Chris Tanev deal. Reports Elliot Friedman. Yeah, I mean they've been. I mean Dallas is looking for a right shot defenseman. They've been looking at Chris Tanner for a long time, and you know the Calgary Flames are in a situation right now, and I really think that they get to dictate their price. I, they're in a playoff spot. They're not twenty. They're not in a playoff spot. They're in a. They're in a playoff push. They're nine games over five hundred after being. Two seven and one after the first ten games, so they've played at playoff level. If I'm Craig Conroy and I'm not getting commensurate value for Tanif and, and Hannafin, I'm not trading them. I am telling teams, you either, and I'm not saying there's not a negotiation here. I'm talking commensurate value for those guys. I'm not taking a third round pick for Chris Tanif. I'm keeping him because that third round pick might help you in 2029. Might. And Chris Tanev can be a real significant factor down the stretch for my team right now. So unless you're serious about acquiring them, and, and the problem that I say, if, if you just go and get something, what happens the next time you have in this situation? You know what? The team, well, we're just going to wait because you're just going to take something. There's a lot more than just a third-round draft pick or something when you're talking about young players in a team. 16 teams make the playoffs. If I got a chance to make the playoffs – and I'm not talking about going out and being reckless. I'm talking about commensurate value for Hannafin and Tanif, or I'm keeping them. And I'm telling every team that. 
All right. Um, at the uh, at the time of this podcast right now, it is pre-recorded just uh, a couple of hours before uh, the regular slot, uh, as per an exception because of work purposes. So if this deal happens to get done and we don't mention it, uh, now you know why. All right. Okay. Um, what's the goal now in ending the Canadians between now and the end of the season, another 23, 24 games, whatever it is. Um, the objective is, I, I guess, the same objective it's been all season, just trying to have everyone grow and get better individually. I, I, well, I would say this, that, that that's the goal every day, and, and you want to get better as a team, and you want to get better individually every day. I, I think for Kent I think on the ice, it, it, it's about being competitive, and, and, and it's about, you know, when Marty St. Louis came into the team, it was about keeping the spirits high, and that becomes harder, you know, as you, as you get into five-game losing streaks, you start to realize, wait a sec, you know, what are we playing for? But but what you're playing for is an opportunity to 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 to, to to, to come into next year with, with an enhanced confidence, with a greater confidence that you can do some things. Whatever the trade deadline offers, you know, will, will be evident once it, once once prior, prior to or right up to it. But for Kent Hughes and the management, seeds now have to be planted. A lot of things that you want to do start now, not, not start now, have started. And they're not going to come to fruition at the trade deadline. But they're going to come to fruition after. As many seeds as he can plant, the harvest could be bountiful come draft time. To me, that's when teams, they're disappointed. They haven't gone deep in the playoffs, haven't made the playoffs. A lot more teams, cap space opens up. A lot more teams are willing to make moves. So for Marty, it's about keeping the spirits of the team up, trying to keep them competitive, which goes back to our first conversation. You know, like where you're at in the standings, you know what? Like, I know you want to play Caden Primo. I'm not prepared to do that right now. Okay. And then Kent's got to go do what he's got to do. And I call it planting seeds. Uh, Pierre Lebrun trade call pending, but uh, Chris Tanev is being traded to the Dallas Stars. All right. So on that note, uh, this is how we're going to end it. Craig, once again, thanks so much for your contributions. Very, very much appreciated. Canadians are in Florida tomorrow night as they take on the Panthers. And I'll be back same time, same place, this time with Pierre Maguire. Have a great night, Craig. Appreciate it, my man. Thank you, Tony. You're very welcome. Special thanks to our partners and our sponsors. Energy Transportation Group is one. Labitta TB is another. And so is Playground. Thank you so much. Thanks to all my sick community and my sick army for watching tonight. Very much appreciated. And uh, for Niello, Sammy, and Juliana, Master Control, they're Cavallaro. And once again, I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.